Love thyself most and best. Love thyself day and night. Let no feared word cause thee to hate thyself. Love thyself last and first. Love thyself for each month. Let no scared howl cause thee to doubt thyself. Love thyself, thyself more and more. Love thyself. Self is all you have from cradle to thy grave. Love yours enough to make us love ourselves. Thyself is all you
Oh, my mama told me Cause she said she learned the hard way Said she wanna spare the children She said don't give her say your soul away Cause all that you have is your soul Don't be tempted by the shiny apple 
Don't you eat of a bitter fruit Hunger only for a taste of justice Hunger only for the truth Cause all that you have is your soul I was a pretty young girl once I had dreams, I had high hopes Married a man who stole my heart away Gave his love, but what a high price I paid And all that you have is your soul Don't be tempted by the shiny apple Don't you eat of a better food Hunger only for a taste of justice Hunger only for the truth Cause all that you have is your soul Why was I such a young fool? Thought I'd make history Making babies was the best I could do Thought I made something could be mine forever Another hard way one can't possess another And all that you have is your soul Don't be tempted by the shiny apple Don't you eat of a bitter fruit Hunger only for a taste of justice Hunger only for a world of truth Cause all that you have is your soul I thought, thought I could find a way Be the system, make a deal and have no debts to pay Take it all I take it all, how to run away, leave myself first class and first rate. All that you have is your soul. Don't be tempted by the shiny apple. Don't you eat of a bitter fruit. Hunger only for a taste of justice. Hunger only for a world of truth. Cause all that you have is your soul Here I am, I'm waiting for a better day Second chance, a little luck to come my way Hope to dream, I hope that I can sleep again Wake in a world with a clear conscience and clean hands Cause all, all that you have is your soul Don't be tempted by the shiny apple Don't you eat of a bitter fruit Hunger only for a taste of justice Hunger only for a world of truth Cause all that you have is your soul Oh, my mama told me Cause she said she learned the hard way Say she wanna spare the children She say don't give a say your soul away Cause all that you have is your soul All that you have All that you have
that you have Is yourself My name is Jenny Afkinich, and my pronouns are she, her, and hers. I am a member of your Board of Trustees, and it is my pleasure to welcome you to worship at the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Columbia. As we begin, we honor the Piscataway people and their ancestors. It is upon their lands that we in Columbia reside. We are served by the Reverend Paige Getty Minister, as well as a talented and dedicated team of religious educators, musicians, and other professional staff. I want to express my gratitude to all within our community who are striving to keep us connected and to provide meaningful worship experiences during this unusual and trying time. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, whomever you love, and whatever your faith tradition, you are welcome here. We particularly welcome any guests who are watching this service. We hope that you will join us in the future when we return to worship at the Owen Brown Interfaith Center so that we will have the chance to meet and welcome you in person. Here are our announcements for today. We hope to see you at 4 p.m. today for our monthly Black Lives Matter vigil in Columbia. Join us to give public witness to the problem of anti-Black racism in our neighborhood, nation, and world, and to show that all lives will matter when Black Lives Matter. Please bring your own signs if you have them. It's last call to complete the Green Sanctuary Survey. If you haven't yet, please consider taking it. You will find the survey link in the chat. Thank you. Are you able to host coffee hour on August 22nd or August 29th? Staff member Sarah Davidson, who hosts coffee hour, will be away on vacation those two Sundays. If you are interested and able, there are many in our community who would appreciate your time and talent. Find Sarah's email in the chat if you'd like to serve our community in this way. And the Board of Trustees is having our regular monthly meeting this Tuesday, August 10th at 6.30 p.m. And we invite all to listen in. Among many other things, we'll be approving a new board member to fill the vacant at-large seat and hearing from Sarah Davidson, UUCC's Director of Communications and Member Integration on the results of the recent communication survey. The agenda and the materials are all posted on UUCC's website. Please join us. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jenny, and good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Columbia, otherwise known as UUCC. My name is Colette Gelwix, and I use she, her pronouns. I'm a white woman in my late 30s with long brown hair, and today I'm wearing a dark blue top. I'm honored to be serving as a worship associate this morning. Our guest preacher today is former UUCC staff member, current UUCC member and recent seminary graduate, Reverend Jen Raffensperger. Welcome, Jen. We are so happy that you are joining us this morning. A couple of logistical things just to get us started. We are going to be working on Michael's sound. We had some issues in sound check already. It sounds like there was a Zoom update recently that uh, changed a few of the settings. So thanks for your patience with that. Um, for anyone who is having other technical difficulties or is looking for links, please use the chat to communicate with one another and with Mary, who's responding to inquiries. That's Mary Rogers, she's waving right now. <laughs> um, your order of service is in the link on the website 
where you got the link to get here, probably also in the chat. Joys and Sorrows will be doing that closer to the end of the service today. Um, feel free to email those in to joysandsorrows at uucolumbia.net. And one more special welcome to any visitors joining this morning. We're glad you found your way to us. Please fill out the visitors form, which is in the chat when you have a moment. And now, as we prepare to worship together, I invite you to settle in comfortably, take a deep breath, release any tension that you might be holding as we hear the ringing of the bell. Good morning. We are the Cuts family, Aaron, Sam, and Ross. And for the chalice lighting this morning, we will be reading Wild Geese by Mary Oliver. You do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Tell me about despair yours, and I will tell you mine. Meanwhile, the world goes on. Meanwhile, the sun and the clear pebbles of the rain are moving across the well, landscape. Over the prairies and the deep trees, the mountains and the rivers. Meanwhile, the wild geese high in the clear blue air are heading home. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination, calls you like a wild geese, harsh and exciting, over and over, announcing your place in the family of things. Wild geese! Ready? Okay. We're going to light this chalice. How did you light it? There's a fire. And now I invite you all to join me in reading our Congregational Covenant. Strengthened by our common humanity and inspired by our seven principles, we promise to be a safe and welcoming community, to nurture each other's hearts and spirits, to delight in the beauty of our diversity, to struggle together on our spiritual journeys, and to challenge each other to live our values. Thus, we pledge our time and vigor to the continuing celebration of spirit, of the world, and of humankind. And now we will all be unmuted for a few moments so that we may greet each other. Hello. Slightly controlled. Hi, 
Good morning, everyone. My name is Robin Slaw. I'm your Director of Religious Education, and I am so happy to be back together with all of you this morning. Today, the adults will be talking about what it means to love ourselves. And I'm starting this service off with a story that can be found in a lot of different cultures. Uh, Europe, like Spain and India and the Middle East and North American cultures. As you listen to this story, start to think about the parts of yourself that you may not like, the parts you wish were different, and what you might do to change those parts. What kind of journey might you envision? So once upon a time, there was a boy. And that boy felt like he was full of holes. He had holes in his head and holes in his heart and holes on his arms and legs, holes all over. And those holes, they make him feel sad. And they also make him feel mad. And the trouble that's inside of him, those sad and mad feelings, cause him to make trouble all around him. When the fishers are trying to set their nets, he snarls up all their lines and nets. And when the farmers are ready to plant their fields, he runs through and destroys all of the ground. And when the musicians are getting ready to play, he runs through and makes noises and knocks all their instruments down. And when other children are trying to play, he dashes through and knocks them down and wrecks their games. And the older he grew, because of those sad and mad feelings, the more trouble he caused. And people, began to push him away to shun him. And his feelings were so bad that he even grew to dislike himself. But there was one woman, that woman in the village, who felt compassion for him. And she believed that he could be a better person. So she said to him, whole boy, I believe that you can find a way to fill your holes. I believe if you go on a journey and find another person full of holes, just like yourself, you'll be healed and you'll become a whole with a W, whole person. Well, that boy, he was a little puzzled, a little intrigued, but at the same time, he felt hopeful. Maybe there was something he could do to not be a whole boy with an H, but a whole boy with a W. So he began his journey. And that journey was really challenging. He had to push through thick bush and past giant trees and the wind whistled through his holes and blew him about and branches snagged him and stopped him short and vines tripped him and animal sounds frightened him and the river roared at him and spray splashed and soaked him. But on he journeyed 
And when he arrived at the first village, the boy asked if there was another boy like him. And the villagers thought, they said, I remember hearing about one. And it's over that way, head towards the sunset. So the next morning, the boy took off again and the journey was even more challenging. This time, two days through thick brush and past giant trees and the wind whistled through his holes and blew him about and branches snagged him and stopped him short and vines tripped him and animal sounds frightened him and the river roared right at him and its spray splashed and soaked him. But on he journeyed. And at the second village, the boy asked again, have you ever seen a boy like me full of holes? And the villager said, yes, we have. Head that way toward the setting sun. And so the next morning, again, he went on a challenging journey. This time, three days through thick bushes and past giant trees, and the wind whistled through his holes and blew him about, and branches snagged him and stopped him short, and vines tripped him, and animal sounds frightened him, and the river roared right at him, and its spray splashed and soaked him. But on he journeyed. And when he arrived at the third village after three days, the people saw him and recognized him and said, look, look, there's another holy boy. Well, they went and got the holy boy that lived in that village and the whole boy and the holy boy recognized one another. The whole boy with an H and the holy boy were opposites. Where one boy had holes, the other boy was filled. And where the other boy had holes, the whole boy within each was empty. So they were attracted to each other, but they were also suspicious. They weren't at all sure about what this was. So they began to wrestle and they wrestled and stirred up the dust so much that it stirred up a storm. And all night they wrestled and the lightning flashed and the thunder crashed. All night they wrestled. But at sunrise, it was all calm. And out of that cloud of dust came a whole boy with a W. That whole boy with a W, no holes in him, headed back to his village. And not once did the wind blow him about. Not once did a branch snag him. No vines tripped him. No animal sounds frightened him. Even the river was calm. That woman from his village recognized him when he came in and she welcomed him with arms wide open and they hugged. And then they had a feast to celebrate the boy's wholeness. That's the end of our story. But I do have some questions for you to think about and ponder as you go about your week. I wonder, 
What might you need in order for you to feel whole? I wonder where your journey to feel whole might take you. And I wonder who might help you along your journey. Thank you. To begin, I'd like to invite you all to sit quietly for a moment and remember a time you felt embarrassed, possibly even angry at yourself. I will share one as an example. On the July 4th weekend of this year, on July 4th, I was helping out a friend who owns a pet sitting business. I worked for her part-time before the pandemic. Her business, like so many small businesses, really struggled. No one needed anyone to watch their pets when they weren't going out on vacations or into their offices. So this summer, as her business has boomed again, I went back to work for her for a bit. And the weekend of Independence Day was full of busy days. I was out until after 9 p.m. and needed to be out again the next morning by 6 a.m. And on July 4th, as I drove down south on Route 29, it was the most direct route home for me, but I chose not to exit at Route 100 to head east. If I had made that choice, it would not have taken me past the exits that led to the Columbia fire display. But I thought, surely at this point, the traffic around the fireworks area would be minimal, right? People would have gotten there early. I know that you're laughing at me, and by now, I'm laughing at me. But at the time, I was very, very angry with myself. The traffic on the highways was stopped solid for the entirety of the fireworks display. And as I sat in my car, staring glumly at the cracking fireworks overhead, all I could think was, how could I be so stupid? 
All I could think about was my own failure to take the exit that would have allowed me to avoid all of this. I could feel the minutes of lost sleep ticking away, and I called myself absolutely horrible names, names I would never think to call someone else, or at the very least, not to their face. It was easy for me to think of this story and others beside. How easy was it? for you to summon a time for yourself of embarrassment, shame, of anger or frustration with yourself? How quickly did examples come up for you? Did you find there were so many that it was hard for you to choose? Now I'd like to reverse the thought experiment and ask you how quickly you can summon a memory of a time you were proud of yourself, when you were happy with your choices, and your actions, when you really felt proud and happy with the person you were, both in that moment and just in general? Did the answer to those questions come to you slower or quicker than when I asked you to remember a time when you were upset with yourself? How easy or hard was it for you to come up with something? How did it feel? Did you have to sort through multiple possibilities of positive memories or negative ones? The chances are good that you had more choices of negative memories. Psychologists and neurologists have studied this phenomenon within humans. We all do this. Memories of mistakes replay in our brains while we struggle to conjure the memories of those happy and contented times. Psychologist Rick Hansen is famously quoted as saying, the brain is like Velcro for negative experiences, but Teflon for positive experiences. In an interview for the podcast, The Science of Happiness, Hansen explained it this way. We've developed what's called in science a negativity bias, which means that the brain, to help us survive, preferentially looks for, reacts to, stores, and then recalls negative information over positive information. For example, there's a pretty famous finding in the realm of relationship psychology from John Gottman of the University of Washington that it takes at least five positive interactions to make up for just one negative one. In other words, in effect, a negative interaction in an important relationship is five times more powerful than a positive interaction. That's an example of the negativity bias at work. So this bias, once it's known and recognized, can be addressed. There are practices we can do to reinforce positive events, to allow us to dwell more within positive experiences that make our life more expansive and complex and beautiful and whole. One reason I selected our opening hymn filled with loving kindness is the importance of that sort of meta meditation in allowing us, giving us permission to center ourselves for a moment. We begin within. May I be filled with loving kindness. May I be well. May I be peaceful and at ease. May I be whole. If we do not start here, 
If we do not start by considering ourselves in a loving way, then the path to considering those around us in a loving way becomes longer, more thorny, full of obstacles. It is hard work. In so many ways, we are given messages that considering ourselves first is selfish, self-centered, egotistical. And it is true that if we never leave the space of the self, if we never move to the next steps of the metta meditation, we stand to lose our senses of compassion and of empathy. But if we cannot extend compassion to ourselves, how can we build our muscles of compassion to allow us to be in touch with, all, with that for all beings that we are in relationship with? Let us recall our first and our seventh principles. When we talk about the inherent worth and dignity of all persons, we are part of all persons. And in the seventh principle, we outright say it, respect for the interdependent web of all existence of which we are a part. If we want to respect, love, and honor that web without placing ourselves firmly within it, without acknowledging what Mary Oliver would call our place in the family of things, then the center won't hold. We must learn to love ourselves. We must learn that healthy love of self is far from selfish. It allows us to be fully flawed, complex, beautiful, expansive human beings. One of the phrases from Christian idiom that has become a part of the larger cultural context is, love your neighbor as yourself. It's from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22, verse 39. In the New Revised Standard Translation of the Christian Scriptures, this is the text where the verse is situated. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Recently, I was driving by a church in a nearby town, and they had a series of signs posted on the roadside, which you would read in order as you drove. The first said, love God. The second read, love neighbor. And the third read, Black Lives Matter. And I love this direct juxtaposition, drawing in the thought of this well-known commandment and bringing it directly into the conversation surrounding the need for attention to the movement for Black lives. But as I drove on, I also kept thinking how often it feels true that our natural tendency is to skip over that whole love thyself part. Their signs did it for good reasons, but it's so easy to skip. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is an assumption represented in these words that we centralize ourselves in our care and concern and that that is a meaningful way to ask humans to draw others into the circle of their care and concern. And if this underlying assumption rings true, when this underlying assumption rings true, then when we witness injustice, when we see our neighbors being treated in ways we would rail against if they happened to us, 
then we are motivated to act on behalf of our neighbors. What can we, as concerned global citizens, as Unitarian Universalists, as feeling and thinking human beings, make of a world so full of cruelty, hatred, injustice, and inequity? Aren't we supposed to love our neighbors as we love ourselves? Is that what we're doing? If all we can summon for ourselves is harsh criticism, judgment, and even self-loathing, then how can we hope to summon anything more for others? We would never let people talk to our beloved friends and companions the way we often talk to ourselves. If I cannot love myself, perhaps I can't recognize when I see lack of love, care, and concern for others. But in this flawed and fractured world, how do we do it? How do we beat the cycle of not loving enough, of feeling as though our well of compassion and concern is run dry? We must turn to forgiveness. And we must begin with ourselves. I'll draw you back, uh, your attention back to our reading today that Stephanie shared with us. Thank you, Stephanie. The poem Phase One by Dilruma Ahmed. The final lines are, I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you for growing a capacity for love that is great but matched only perhaps by your loneliness, for being unable to forgive yourself first so you could then forgive others and at last find a way to become the love that you want in this world. Loving the self, loving anyone or anything does not mean ignoring or overlooking the real flaws, failures, and foibles that are a part of each of our lives. Loving means knowing the flaws, giving some grace to understand where they may come from, how they may show up, and resolving to love anyway. By loving, we're demanding more of ourselves and of others. And if I can figure out how to take all my negativity biased memories, all those days when I look in the mirror and I can't think of a single nice thing to say, all those times when my self-talk turns ugly, every time I think I'll sink into the floor in embarrassment and shame. If I can figure out how to love myself, not just in spite of all those, but because of all those, I will build that skill. Loving is a skill. Loving is an art. Loving is work. And I don't mean to say that it's not joyous. When I work on something I love, I feel richly rewarded even when I'm challenged. Dilruba Ahmed's poem invites us to consider so many examples of forgiveness. The poet uses you to mean me, to mean all of us. From letting seedlings die to feeling awkward and nervous for no reason, from leaving the window open and getting library books wet to fearing your own propensity to love. The first time I read this poem, the part that came as a real gut punch to me was this line. 
for treating your mother with contempt when she deserved compassion. I have a complicated relationship with my own mother, and this is not a rare thing. I think many of us have a sense of thorny strangeness when we consider our relationships with our primary childhood caregivers. And to me, the path to figuring out how to have love and compassion for my mother and the choices she made had to start with having compassion for myself and all the flaws that I see in my own decisions. And by seeing myself and my own journey in that part of the poem, the whole thing opened up to me. Yes, yes to forgiving myself for the frustrations, the wrong choices, the failures. If I see how flawed and complicated I am, how flawed and complicated my mother is, my friends are, then I can extrapolate that out to every other person. And if I can do that, then when I do have those moments where I'm proud and I know that I've done the best that I could with what I have and I can love myself, then I can extend that to others as well. Again, it is work. It is building a muscle by flexing it again and again and allowing it to rest when it is strained or tired. But I will tell you that it gets easier and it gets more joyful. Instead of feeling full of anger at the driver who cuts me off in traffic, I can summon up the knowledge that I do not know what that person is going through, that they may be in physical or emotional distress, that they have a whole story I do not know. If I knew their story, maybe I could see a way to a place where I was making their same choices, even when they're bad ones. Please note this doesn't work every time, certainly not every time someone cuts me off in traffic. Often the anger comes up and then I have to talk myself down. But I can get there. I can get to a place of compassion and forgiveness for others. And I love myself for that. The more we can love ourselves, the more we can see our flaws and failures for what they are and without shame, then the more we can extend our capacity for compassion, forgiveness, and love to all those around us. I selected this next and final hymn for today when I considered it like our poem, inviting us to think differently about the eyes and the you's in the song. For example, there's a verse of our hymn that goes like this. When I am angry, will you still embrace me? When I am thoughtless, will you understand? Will you believe in me, stand by me willingly? Will you share some of your questions with me? If you will show me acceptance, then I may learn to give as you do. Then I may learn to give. What if we considered ourselves both as the I and as the you? There are times we are angry and times others are angry at us. Times when we can each be thoughtless. If we learn to love ourselves through all of those times, we can learn to love each other. I invite you to consider all this, to think of yourself as both the I and the you, as we may choose to sing along at home with hymn number 1012, When I Am Frightened, and consider most especially the end then I may learn to love.
We'll now move on to the sharing of joys and sorrows. If you have a bowl of water and stones at home to participate, now's the time to go grab those. And this is your final opportunity to send an email with what you'd like to share to joysandsorrows at uucolumbia.net if you haven't yet done so. The sharing of joys and sorrows is a practice in our congregation where one can publicly and openly share a significant, meaningful event that has deeply touched their life. As I read the joys and sorrows that have been shared this morning, we will listen deeply and lovingly. We are made mindfulness of the sacredness of the ritual when we cast a stone in the bowl of communal water. The ripples it forms symbolize how our lives touch one another. And one final stone for all that is unsaid but felt in our hearts.
Thank you, beloved community. I invite you into a spirit of prayer and reflection, whatever form that takes for you. All the journeys and the ways the universe has shown up for us, good and bad, in these last few weeks, months, year, and change. The continuing sorrows of being apart and the joys of long, long relationships together, friendships that give us strength long-time loving connections that live with us. The memories and portraits of joy within one of humanity's great tragedies. All these gather in our hearts, give us stillness when there is trouble, give us trouble when there is stillness. I invite you to think quietly on the ways universe moves within and without and how hard it is to ride and how joyous it feels sometimes just to be. For the safety, For the safety of, of every, every traveler on every journey, so may it be.
Thank you. It was beautiful. When we share our time together, we're also building the muscles of compassion and community. Moving into the days to come, keep your loving thoughts in the forefront, taking the good word with you throughout the good times and the bad. Know that your community accompanies you and that the flame of our chalice lives in all our hearts, even as we extinguish it here. Go forth to practice love in the world. We all have friends and neighbors, people who live close to us. We call this our community. It is important to love and respect everyone in our community. Show respect and love to your neighbors. If you can do this, then they will show love and respect to you. This is how we all can help to make the world a better place.
Try. 